Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, we are focusing on a grassroots effort here in Baltimore to provide mental health support to thousands of city residents during the coronavirus crisis. The effort is called the Baltimore Neighbors Network. I'm speaking to Councilman Zeke Cohen, to Shantae Jackson of the Baltimore Community Mediation Center, and to Amy Greensfelder of the organization Pro Bono Counseling. Let's listen. Councilman Cohen, thank you so much for joining me. Tell me how the Baltimore Neighbors Network got started. Dr. Sharfstein, it's an honor to be with you, and feel free to just call me Zeke. So we got started out of a concern that in addition to the physical damage that we know the coronavirus is going to cause, we also are facing an epidemic of isolation and loneliness. And what I mean by that is that with the need for social distancing, for people to remain in their own space, comes a rise in people feeling isolated, uh, particularly vulnerable folks like seniors, people who are immunocompromised, that the really cruel thing about this is that the very population who is most susceptible to the worst health outcomes, physical health outcomes, are also being asked to do the most isolation. And so we knew that we would need a response that didn't just force folks to stay apart from each other, but allowed them to connect as neighbors across our city. And so were you getting calls for help? from people in Baltimore along these lines? Absolutely. So we know that in a city that on a normal day experiences a lot of trauma, I can only imagine what this pandemic will do to families that are already stressed about finances, where now children are home all day long with no school, to seniors who are being asked to isolate and stay to themselves, And so people started reaching out to me about what we could do as a city and really as a community to jump in and support not just the physical, but the mental health needs of Baltimoreans. And what's so great about our city, sorry, is there is this incredible spirit of compassion and love and generosity. Baltimoreans want to help each other and support each other. And that's why I knew that This couldn't just be a government intervention. It needed to really be a neighbor-to-neighbor community intervention as well. And I know you have been involved in developing those kinds of networks for responding to other kinds of uh, traumatic situations for people in Baltimore. So did you tap into that network? And and who were the first calls you made to, to receive those calls to get this project started? Yeah, so we were really proud that literally just a few weeks before, you know, before this pandemic descended upon Maryland, that we had passed the Elijah Cummings Healing City Act, um, which is a major piece of legislation 
that puts Baltimore on the forefront of legislating a response to trauma. And through that, we had built a coalition, we call it the Healing City Coalition, and it's all about community playing a role in reducing trauma. I also knew that I would need to reach out to someone like Shantae, who is world's expert at mediating conflict and at just being a phenomenal facilitator, listener, trainer, someone who knows community in Baltimore extremely well. And then we also knew that we were going to need a clinical dimension, that some of what we were hearing even early on in this crisis was that people were having very real mental health impacts. And so we also wanted to reach out to the Mental Health Association of Maryland, to the Pro Bono Counseling Project with Amy Greensfelder, so that we could really have a both community approach and also some clinical backing to deal with what we know is coming with this virus. Got it. Thank you so much, Zeke. I want to turn to Shantae Jackson, who is the executive director of the Baltimore Community Mediation Center. You get the call, um, or you make the call, to get something like this going. What are you immediately thinking that needs to be done in, in Baltimore? Thanks for having me, Josh. I would say that my immediate response to the call was just this feeling of gratefulness and pride. Because as Zeke mentioned, Baltimore has this uncanny way of coming together in our greatest time of need. Was really excited to see that we were going to be using what is Baltimore's greatest asset, which are its residents, its people, and using those people to connect to others in our city to check in, not just on how folks are doing from a physical health perspective, but really checking in, listening to what folks are feeling as they're going through this and listening to what their needs are. So how do you find people who are willing to do those checks? Because if you think about how many people are vulnerable, it's a lot of people. How many people are you trying to train? How do you think about training them to check in on people? Right. So um, your first question, how do you find the people? How do you reach the people? That was easy. As I mentioned before, Baltimore responds in times of crisis. Since launching the Baltimore Neighbors Network, we've had an overwhelming response from everyday Baltimoreans to clinicians to nursing students who are looking to volunteer. Right. What are we talking like? Five people, 10 people, 50 people? So the original pilot group was made up of 16 folks, eight folks from um, Councilman Cohen's district and eight folks from Councilman Christopher Burnett's district. And we were very deliberate about choosing those two districts because their demographic makeup reflect the diversity of our city. And so we're going to be able to really get our hands wrapped around what the uh, variation of needs are going to be. With regard to where we are now, we launched our website on April 1, and by April 2nd, we had close to 300 people responding. Wow. uh, Indicating that they wanted to be volunteers to do this work. So how do you train volunteers to check in on their neighbors to make sure they're doing okay from a mental health standpoint? Right. And and let's really talk about how we check in on or how we train folks who we are potentially having reach out to folks who are dealing with mental health because we or mental health issues because we don't want them to introduce any more harm 
to folks who are dealing with issues, and we also don't want them to introduce harm to themselves. So our training's been really thoughtful, given the partnership with pro bono counseling services, our state level organizations with SAFE, we have been able to create a training program that includes vetting volunteers through a background check. It includes making sure that Zeke and I are present at every orientation session for volunteers to explain what the network does and to answer what we consider frequently asked questions. That's followed with inclusive listening training where you can really dig into what is potentially a mental health crisis. And if, I'm, if it's okay, Josh, I'd like to give you an example of some things that we're hearing. Sure, please. So um, our initial focus, while we know that there are multiple micro communities that are vulnerable to this virus, our initial focus is on our seniors. And so we've got 85,000 names phone numbers that we're going to be reaching out to. And we've heard some of our seniors say, this is driving me crazy. I can't even see my friends anymore. I feel like I'm going out of my mind. I just want to break out of here. The training that volunteers are going through are allowing them to process that in ways that sound like, so it sounds like I'm feeling isolated and lonely and trapped. Is that right? and connections to your friends and family are important to you. Mm-hmm. Talk, to, talk to us about what you are doing, Mrs. Jones, to stay busy, right? And so that is allowing us to determine which level of the four levels we've set up a person has needs uh, that we need to respond to. So your volunteers are calling, they're trained in inclusive listening, but it, they're also thinking about what level of response is appropriate for each person. Absolutely. Got it. That makes this seemingly overwhelming task very tangible and manageable. And I really appreciate the work that you've just explained and the commitment that you bring to it. I want to turn now to Amy Greensfelder, who is the um, Executive Director of Pro Bono Counseling, which um, has been around for more than 20 years. Is that right, Amy? Yes, that is. Thank you so much for, for having us on today, Josh. So the phone rings. It's the coronavirus mental health response on the line. Tell me about what your organization uh, brings to this this fight. Yeah, so for the last 28 years, what we've done is connect people in need of mental health uh, services with licensed mental health providers who volunteer their time. So in many ways, our work with this project is no different than what we do day in and day out. We talk with the person, we find out what's going on. We have a licensed clinical social worker on our staff who can help make that higher level assessment than a neighbor volunteer who might not have that that specific clinical training would be able to do. So we're assessing is um, and we're helping the person figure out what the next step is going to be. Is it going to be getting matched with one of our licensed mental health providers who volunteers their time for free? therapy. Um, maybe the person does have access to some insurance resources to, to cover counseling and we're helping right. them get that system. But what are the clinical situations that you're most worried about with the coronavirus? One of the things that makes this situation um, from a clinical perspective so complex is it's multiple things layered on top of each other. So we have um, going on an economic crisis and we know that mental health concerns rise in in tandem with economic crises. People are losing their jobs left and right. And so that causes a lot of stress. Coupled with that is the, is the fact that with so many people out of work or um, kind of furloughed or in situations where they're not able to do the day-to-day work that they're used 
used to. People are kind of idling in their house and spinning their wheels and just not sure what to do with themselves, which again, um, is not very great for your mental health. And on top of that, people are isolated. Um, Sometimes they're stuck in homes alone without any other people in their house, or they're stuck in the house with lots of family members who maybe they'd rather not be around. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then there's the uncertainty of the moment coupled with what's causing all this to happen is a global pandemic. So all of us are concerned about our individual family, um, our individual uh, physical health, our family's physical health, and our community's physical health. So how does this manifest in terms of mental health? Is it depression, that people would be depressed, or what else? From everything we're seeing and reading about past pandemics and from the bit we know about the current situation, we're, we're expecting things like depression, anxiety, grief. One of my big concerns with this is unresolved grief. As people, as we start to lose our friends and loved ones to this disease, we will not be able to mourn in the way that we're used to mourning of gathering to say goodbyes. We're not, we're already hearing from New York and other places of people not being able to go in to be with their loved one in their final moments. So what grief looks like in this situation is very different than what grief looks like on a day-to-day basis. And then there's the, after all this is over, the trauma of the incident of this timeframe translating into post-traumatic stress disorder. So so you think you may have to literally help people grieve? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very much expecting that, and and it's it's difficult to talk about right now with what our case numbers are in Maryland so far. But seeing what's happened in China first, and Italy, and now New York, it's it's coming to our backyard in that same way. And maybe we'll have mitigated it with some of the measures we take in Maryland, but it doesn't seem unreasonable to suggest that grief is going to be an issue affecting our communities in the the coming days and weeks and months. Well, I, I really want to thank you and all of the um, clinicians that you bring to this in- incredibly important work. Thank you. I, w- I want to see if um, Zeke, Councilman Cohen, you're still on the line here. Yes, sir. Pretty amazing. What started with an idea here, You it sounds to me like you have dozens of clinicians, hundreds of volunteers reaching out to literally thousands of people to try to help them cope with this unbelievable situation we're all finding ourselves in. Well, let me just say, uh, Josh, that this has truly been a team effort. Every morning at 930, we have our organizing team meets on a Zoom, and we talk through the challenges of the day and the opportunities. And what really has rung home to me again and again throughout this process is just the unbelievable resilience, toughness, fortitude, and love that defines Baltimore. Uh, You know, we're being asked again and again and again to social distance. And we know that for our physical health, that is incredibly important. But at the same time, now more than ever, we need social solidarity. We need to stand with each other as neighbors, as community members, We need to grieve with each other, like Amy was saying. We need to listen to each other, like Shantae was saying. We need to be present in each other's pain. We need to be there for each other. And that's been the incredibly rewarding part of this project, is just to see people across Baltimore come together as one community to support each other. Well, um, thank you so much for taking a few minutes from this work uh, to talk to me today. And and this goes to all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Josh. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.